You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 166. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And today we're going to talk about communities of practice and how a community of practice can drive impact for your organization. Now, our guest today is going to share her experience and insights gained from starting multiple COPs, communities of practice, over the years in different organizations. And you're going to learn how to know if a community of practice is right for you and the steps you can take to start an impactful community of practice today. Now, before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by the PMO Impact Summit, the world's longest running virtual conference specifically for PMO leaders is back in September on September 27th and 28th with recordings available the entire week. Make sure you register now for free so that you are able to take advantage of all the goodies and surprises I have coming for those that register early. Now, this event is specifically for PMO leaders. We are going to help you elevate your role of the PMO in your organization and position you to make the biggest impact possible in your organization. If you're looking to elevate your career, get that PMO off the ground, or simply add more value with your PMO, we've got you covered. Make sure you register for free at PMOImpactSummit.com. We're going to elevate you, your role, the PMO, and you're not going to want to miss all the fun we have in store. I can't wait to see you there. Just go to PMOImpactSummit.com right now to register for free. Okay, let's dive in. Now with me today is Jenny Fowler, and I am so excited to welcome Jenny back to the podcast. This is actually her third interview on the podcast. And if you love what you hear today, you can go back and listen to Jenny on episode 66 and episode 122. And today we're going to be talking with her about this community of practice topic. Now, Jenny has over 20 years of experience as a PMO leader in multiple verticals and has a lot. If you ask me, project management certifications. She is also certified as a DISC coach. Now she has built or matured eight different PMOs, enterprise PMOs, strategy realization offices, and is super passionate about all things project management and change management. She's also been a recurring speaker at our PMO Impact Summit events. And as you heard in our beginning of our episode today, we are doing another PMO Impact Summit coming up right around the corner here in September. And Jenny is one of our featured speakers. So I'm going to ask her to talk a little bit about her session that is at the September 2022 PMO Impact Summit in just a moment. But before I let Jenny say anything, I have to do a little bit of bragging on our dear Jenny. Now, our dear humble Jenny didn't even bother to include in her bio that she sent me that she was just named one of the semi-finalists for the Americas as 
a PMO leader of the year by the PMO Global Alliance. And it's the only award of its kind that is really focused on elevating and and awarding PMO leaders that are making not just a big impact in their organizations, but how they're influencing and supporting the PMO leaders around the world. They are setting a great example for other PMO leaders to follow. And I already knew that about Jenny, which is why this is her third time on the podcast and she's been a part of the PMO Impact Summit in the past. So with that, Jenny, welcome to the, back to the PMO Strategies Podcast and congratulations on being named a semi-finalist for the Americas. And I have my fingers crossed that by the time this comes out, we will be finding out that you have made it further up into that award process, which goes through each of the main regions and then goes to the global level, which we find out about in November. So congratulations, Jenny. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate it. I'm really humbled to be part of that community because you are also part of that community as well with you being the top influencer in the world for PMOs last year. So thank you. You're welcome. So I'm honored and humbled to be part of an esteemed group. And hopefully I can keep contributing to give back to, to where we can make other impactful PMO leaders throughout the globe. So happy to be here, Laura. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And super congrats. And I cannot wait to see how it all plays out with the finalists for each of the regions and then the PMO leader of the year globally, which is really cool. So for those of you listening that aren't sure what we're talking about, you can just search up PMO Global Awards, go to your favorite search engine and look at PMO Global Awards. And you can see the current competition that's going on right now, right on their website, competition updates. You can also see the wall of fame and you'll see my smiling face there on the wall of fame from being the PMO Global Influencer of the Year awardee last year, which was really cool, a huge honor. And I think it just goes to show Jenny that first of all, I love that America and the whole PMO Global Awards group spend so much time and energy putting together these awards processes and the hundreds of volunteers that do all the judging for all of the different award categories, specifically for PMOs. I think it's just such a cool thing that they're doing. And you can go to pmoga.world if you want to check it out. But I think it's just really nice to know that the elevation of the PMO is a real thing. I mean, this is really happening. And folks like you and I, Jenny, that invest so much of our hard-earned time and energy and blood, sweat, and tears and efforts to support PMO leaders around the world and help to make sure that we elevate the entire profession for PMOs and help get them the recognition, support, and everything that they need to continue to make this huge impact. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I agree. Very exciting. Yeah. Okay. So now another exciting topic that I have been really excited to talk to you about is this concept of a project management community of practice. And I'd like to start with some basics, if that's okay with you. And then we'll dive into some specifics around how to know if it's good for you to do or not, and if it makes sense. And, you know, one of them that I know is going to come up is what's the difference between like a regular PMO and a community of practice. So how about we start with the basics? What is a community of practice? 
Sure, Laura, happy to start there. So hello, everyone out in podcast land all the way from South Carolina. Let's talk about community of practice and what is the community of practice. So I can't coin the phrase, right? Community of practice has been around for a long time, but I'll start with perspective of what my perspective is of looking at a community of practice. You know, I'm a practitioner and I'm also a practitioner and a fan of the community of practice topic. And I'll probably say COP a lot. That's just the abbreviation for community of practice. And I'll share with you some of my points of view, my POV, my point of view of best practice with some of that dipped in there. So back to the question of what is a community of practice? It started back in 1991, the actual coining of the concept. So that's over 30 years ago, just over 30 years ago. The authors were Wenger and Lave in a book called Situated Learning. And they introduced, peppered in a little bit of the topic of community of practice. And then Winger authored an additional book a handful of years later in 1998 called Communities of Practice. So that was the origin of the term, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, if I put all that in a nutshell, basically it's a mindset shift from individual learning to learning from a group of knowledge workers. So Mm. that's really the concept behind community of practice. So, of course, there are other interpretations of what a community of practice is and what it has evolved to be over the years. But paraphrased, if I have to answer the question, what is a community of practice? I think I could put it in maybe a a real simple sentence. It's a group of people with influence to define what works for them. Mm. So that's your one sentence. So they can do three main things. They can, one, entertain what their common interests are and think together. Two, they can have a common goal of improving and collaborating and connecting and learning together. And number three, they can share their experiences, their expertise, and their knowledge. And the final thing I'll put on this question, Laura, is some people say, well, isn't that similar to, well, let me share with you what a community of practice is not. It's not a center of excellence. Sometimes people try to say, well, a COP and a COE is the same thing. It's really not because a center of excellence usually is an instructor showing and telling you kind of like training what you would do. And it's not a special interest group. It's not a technical club. There's a lot of things that we could throw in there. There's some similarities to those, but a community of practice as we're going to dive into a little bit more is really more about, again, back to that one sentence of a group of knowledge workers learning from each other. So that's what a community practice is, Laura. Okay. So, and I like that because it's really, it's for the people by the people, right? Like as opposed to to being like, I like that differentiation between community practice and center of excellence specifically, because it's really about where the, the structure of it is driven from and determining what is learned is really driven from either in a center of excellence, it's more being defined and pushed out. Yes. Whereas with a community of practice, it's being defined by the group and then shared by the group. So that's an interesting differentiation. I like that. Okay. So that should help those listening understand the difference between that and a PMO, but just for funsies, can we talk a little bit about there's a million names, right? And they all do different things, but you could have a PMO or this department, an enterprise PMO, strategy realization office, et cetera, et cetera. But can you just in the way you think about it, define the difference and or where like one might fit into the other? Sure. So project management office, a strategy realization office, an enterprise project management office, an innovation Mm -hmm. center, or what have you, 
Those are your departments, right? Or, yeah. or your things of that nature. You may want to define a community of practice underneath one of those umbrellas. Mm. So community of practice would not be a department. You wouldn't be hired to work in the community of practice, right? So right. you have your departments and your structures to set up the department. A community of practice would be a supplemental tool to help your project managers or whatever group, whatever your job title is, whether it's product owners, scrum masters, project managers, whatever the role is, it would be to help those role-based functions be better, better together, if you will. So that's a good question about, is the COP a department or is it a group? And I think right. it's more of a group. It's not a department. So yeah. does that help, Laura? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And mm -hmm. I always just like to make sure to get perspectives from on the ground, your experience when you've been building out, but that makes yeah. perfect sense to me. So the way I would explain it to my impact engine PMO students, and the way we talk about it in our implementation program is that this could be a service or capability that you build. That is something that you deliver. And I want to emphasize something that you said, and that is about a department, right? Because there's a difference between a project and a PMO, right? And that's yeah. why I always teach our students that they should not build a charter because charters are for projects and business plans are for business units. And this PMO, whether it's PMO of one to start or it's a big team, it is a business unit, it's a department. And that department provides services and capabilities to the organization, to the customers they serve. And this community of practice could be facilitated by, could be initiated by the PMO function, but it yeah. really is going back to for the people, by the people, right? It really is something that they could facilitate and initiate, but the people that are in it and that are driving what it becomes in this community of practice really is the participants, which I think is an important yeah. distinction. So that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Like okay, it. great. All right. So now let's talk about from the PMO leader, or even like a project manager perspective, let's say that folks listening are like, okay, great. I'd like to get one started. What does it do? How do you start? What are the steps that you need to take? And what are some of the benefits it could bring to the organization? So I know that was a lot of questions, but I know yeah. my audience, my impact drivers, they're asking like 10 questions at once right now yeah, yeah. in their heads. <laughs> like, okay, great. So let's talk a little bit about the benefits first so that we can help our audience think through if it makes sense for them to do a community of practice. Great. I can do that. So we'll start with the benefits and I'll break the benefits down into two categories, the two mm -hmm. big buckets that I think people probably want to hear about. Right. What is the personal value? What's in it for me, right? What's right. the personal value that I'm going to get? And then the organization is going to say, what's the organizational value? So we'll break those up into two categories. So the personal value, whether you are a project manager thinking, hey, I'm going to set up a peer type community of practice, or you're a PMO leader thinking, hey, I'd like to set up a community of practice. What is the personal gain that the folks within the project management realm, if you will, are going to gain? Here's some nuggets for you. I think that they're going to have, that the community of practice is going to provide access to expert advice meaning they're going to learn from each other or some guest speakers that you bring in. It's going to be a forum for meaningful collaboration. They're going to develop knowledge and skill. They're going to get quick answers to questions, and that'll come back more in the how-to a little bit further down. It's going to foster professional development, building up personal networks and things of that nature, and so much more. But that's some of the what's in it for me, right? The expert advice, learning right. from each other, that type of thing. So that's under category number one, the personal value. The organizational value, 
that I think that an organization could look at is to think, what value am I going to get back as an organization? So I think you're going to create a shared knowledge base, promote standardization and consistency, enable inter-team synergy, guide the organizational strategy. That one's a big one. Strengthen your governance if that's important to your organization and improves the capability and the consistency of the organization. Right. So I think there's some organizational values that you could get because at the end of the day, whether it's personal or organizational, I think you said of the people by the people. And I kind of have something similar at the end of the day, how to do work better. Right. That's really what we're trying to figure out, whether it's personal or organizational. How are we trying to do work better? So I think those are some of the benefits that you could get out of a community of practice, whether it is personal and or organizational. So that's the first part of the question, Laura. How does that sound? That sounds great. So let's pause on that for a minute just so that we can give our impact drivers a chance to reflect. So the way that you might want to think about whether or not this makes sense as a service for you and your, your organization is, and this is something, by the way, Jenny, that I have all of my PMO clients do is set up something like this, right? And the benefits, if you think about, you know, which services do we focus on, et cetera, one of the huge benefits that I really just want to re-emphasize that you were talking about, Jenny, is the fact that this gives your people doing the work in the organization a platform, a place to network, a place to connect, a place to share their pain points, their challenges, the things that they need, that they want, et cetera. And ultimately that can drive requirements for additional services that get rolled out over time. So it's a place where all of that can come from that the people might say, Hey, you know what? we really need this thing, or we all are having this challenge. Let's decide what we want to do about it. Let's decide what we want to do to solve it. And then it could be turned over to the PMO core team to implement, but it comes from them. Right. And so it's a real opportunity for sharing and addressing the challenges and lessons learned and things that are working for them and then building the future together. And one of the reasons that I always emphasize for my clients and students that this be one of the early practices is that for many of them, the project managers don't all report into the PMO. And so Uh this is an excellent way Uh to Uh build an army of change agents and champions in the organization and bring everyone together to create an identity right? I mean, to me, that's a huge part of this is that these people that are all in disparate parts of the organization, all kind of doing their own thing, and they have their own methods. Well, no wonder you're having a hard time creating any standards or consistency, not that consistency is always the goal, right? There should be flexibility, but no wonder you're having trouble making any real headway on any kind of consistency or standards or best practices. If you don't bring that group together and help them feel like they have an identity, they have a voice, they are able to learn and grow together. If you don't have any of that, you're going to have a really hard time doing a lot of the things you want to do, rolling out a lot of the services you want to roll out, et cetera. You need them. And so this is a great way for the PMO to, frankly, take credit for, but also be kind of the source of support by facilitating this kind of a community practice to be developed. It doesn't have to, they don't have to own it. PMO, frankly, doesn't even have to run it. You can have the group run itself. And, or if you have people that are doing project management that do report into the PMO, great to have them involved and participating and supportive, but what that group does, what they talk about, the topics, the content, the focus, the mechanisms for making it run 
should come from the people that are in it. And that helps them really feel like they have a voice that they are in charge, right? People don't like having change done to them. They like to be a, have change done with them. So they like to be a part of the change, own the change. This is a great way to do that and to build and develop all of these people, but having it come from them. So I think there's just so many opportunities here, which is why it's always a huge recommendation of mine as an early thing to do, because then you've got everyone speaking the same language, saying the same things, working together, collaborating, solving problems together, supporting each other and building a better future for project management in the organization. And it doesn't have to all come from the PMO. And by the way, Jenny, when the PMO is like a PMO of one, right? When it's just getting started, you can't do it all. But if you have like 30 project managers or 50 project managers or even five project managers in other parts of the organization and you let them own and run with this, all your ideas of what needs to be done can come from that. And they're going to be more inclined to, hey, let me share the templates I have. Let me take a stab at creating something we can all edit. Hey, let's talk about the problems that need to be solved. Like there's so you create a much bigger PMO, quote unquote, if you will, or much bigger presence in the organization through this concept of a community practice without having to own it all or do it all yourself, which is huge for those with small teams and not a whole lot of resources to get things done. I agree very much so. I really like your context. Thank you so much. Okay. So now let's talk about how would one go about, like, let's say that we've got folks listening and they're like, okay, great. How would you go about starting a community of practice in an organization? Let's say you're a project manager. You don't even have influence in the organization. You're not even officially a PMO leader, or even if you are, what would you do to start a community of practice? Good question. And I've started several of these at a few companies now, and I'm going to piggyback off of something you said just a little bit ago. My guidance is is 100% spot on with yours. It's not just about the department that you're in, whether you're a project manager of one or you're in a PMO with a handful of project managers and or you have multiple PMOs at your organization. I think we really stop looking at the job title and we stop looking at the job departmental role that you do. And we kind of look around the organization and like, for example, the company that we're in right now or that I'm in right now, we look at project management as a function. And we and we say, if you are performing project management over 50 percent of your role, regardless of what your title is, but you're really doing 50 percent of project management or more, you yeah. are welcome to join our project management community of practice. Mm-hmm. We have multiple departments in our project management community of practice. We have two PMOs that are in it. And then we have at least, I think it's about six departments that are part of our community of practice because they are doing some sort of function or another as it relates to project management um, and things of that nature. So, you know, and the mindset is let your voice be heard and learn from each other. And so so how to go about starting a community of practice. Of course, there is executive buy-in. And you and I could probably do a whole podcast on executive buy-in. So I'm just going to let that be one (laughs) sentence, right? You get executive buy-in, you say, hey, here's the benefit, kind of gave you some of those a second ago, you know, benefits that we can get. And I would say, start small, say, hey, you know what executives, our community of practice, let's meet once a month to start off with. And it'll be in total, we're asking for this community to donate about 1.5 hours, an hour and a half a month. You could kind of start there, start small. So you're not asking for everyone, someone to say, oh my gosh, I have a day job or I'm already assigned a lot of projects. You know, this really is a benefit for everyone involved. 
So, and of course, community practice can be in person and or remote. My organization is my project management office that I run is mm-hmm. fully remote. So you can do it both ways in person or remote. And so when I, back years ago, when I started my first community of practice, honestly, I used a good bit of information from Gartner on mm. their mindset of what a community of practice is and is not and free information online. You can Google it, but it was very helpful. It was very helpful to kind of get my mind on because they have all that industry data of how other organizations are doing it. And I just kind of wanted to do a gut check on what I wanted to do and what Gartner had to say about it. So that was one of the tools that I used to help me years back. And then again, started monthly and that's still our current cadence that I use today. And in our first session of our community of practice, we whiteboarded what topics they thought that would be helpful. To your point, I'm not, I don't consider myself the leader of the community of practice. I facilitate it sometimes, sometimes I don't, but I do consider myself like the ambassador of it. I'm just the one that supports and wants to keep the rails up for the community of practice train to keep going. So yeah, that's really important. So what we do is we whiteboard topics that they thought, hey, I'd like to learn more about this. I'd like to learn more about that. No bad ideas. We put them all on a board. And then that became our backlog, Mm. right? And we add to it, we take away from it. And that's what we vote from because I want to know what they're interested in, what their pain points are, what they just want to know more about, And then after we got all this stuff on our board, as far as how we're starting our community of practice, then we go and we set a mission. And I'd like for that maybe to be like the next question is how do you set up a mission? But I'll come back to that in a second. So we set up a mission to make sure that we're all in line of what we want this community of practice to do. And then, so that's as far as setting up the monthly meetings. And then we also have a collaboration area. You guys can put your collaboration area in whatever tool you have. We have teams, we we put ours in teams, and then we also have a shared one notebook and we post items in there at any time. It doesn't have to be during that monthly meeting, like tips and tricks and PMI, PDU things and general question, great books we've read, simple information items. Like you said, here's a problem that I'm having. We use our chat area or our team's channel area, if you will, for that. And I'm going to give you one last piece about starting a community of practice. I think this is important. If you've got some of those senior folks and project managers, whether it is some other PMO leaders or a lead project manager, or a senior project manager, senior scrum master, and some of those folks might have this attitude because I've ran across this and we'll give you this as, as a free tip. And they may say, you know, I don't really know if I want to be part of the community of practice because I kind of know all that stuff. I went to your first meeting, all that stuff y'all put up on the board. I really know all that stuff. I don't know that I, I don't really know if I need those things. Mm. As ambassador of the community of practice, here's how I, I really need those people. People that already have the badges and the scars to prove it, been there, done that. I want them to shift their mindset. It's not about what you can get from the community of practice. It's also about what you can give. Yeah. So, okay, Mr. or Mrs. 15 years of experience. The next topic that we're going to cover, would you facilitate that for the group, please? I think you have a great amount of knowledge that can really help the community. So I want those people involved too. So because sometimes come in thinking, what am I going to get from the community of practice? So we've got to have it set up for both groups, what you can get and what you can give. So that's really simple about how I've started a community of practice, but getting your buy-in, putting you, you know, backlog together, a mission, and then trying to make sure that there's a lane for your people that are really thirsty. And then some that feel like their cup might be full, but that's what I've got. That's how I've started community of practices in a couple of different companies. 
Oh, this is super helpful because you're really emphasizing that this is because it's a community of practice, not about center of excellence. It's not about the push. It's about the collaboration, about the sharing and about the community itself. So it really is about investing into it, not just pulling from it as a participant in the group. It's not just about like, you know, because a lot of people would say, yeah, I'm really busy. I already know all these things. I don't have time. But it's really about that give back, which, by the way, that would count as giving back to the community in yeah. terms of the PMP certification or all the other PMI certifications that you, when you maintain your certification, part of the ways that you can collect PDUs is by giving back. And this yeah. can be an important part of that. Yeah. So whether you are giving back and or attending your monthly community of practice, very good point. Both ways you can file it to get you some PDUs. Yeah, Yeah, because it's good to have them in not just the training categories, right? It's good to also have them in the other, there's the practitioner, but then there's participating in the meetings, there's doing materials for the meetings, putting materials together, sharing, contributing back, all that's great to make a well-rounded project management professional. So I think that's really cool. Okay. So let's go back to that mission thing you were talking about for the community of practice. Can you provide some examples of what that might look like? Yeah, sure. So again, to get the mission statement, we did brainstorm first, and I encourage you guys to do the same, to brainstorm about what some of the topics are. And then when you look at the topics and you look at the need for what you want to do within your community of practice, then you can put together your mission. And this Mm -hmm. putting together of the mission is really no different than putting together a mission in general. But I encourage your mission or your community of practice to only be one sentence. Mm only one and not a really long run on sentence with a bunch of commas. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you can remember it, right? Because it needs to be important. So today, the mission that my team has come up with here at Percepta and Global Project Management Office that I'm in, ours is to support each other on best practices for optimal project teams. In other words, we're going to support each other so we can do the best that we can do, right? Right. So that's the one that we have today, but I have done some research and kind of said, hey, you know, what are some other ones? And so here's another one that I saw that I liked. And it's real simple. Everything you need to know. (laughs) That's their mission. That's that's awesome. That's really broad. (laughs) Everything you need to know, exclamation point at that. A third one that I saw is an environment that enables world-class proficiency in managing projects enterprise-wide. So that's great. That's a good one, but it might be a little bit wordy, might be a little bit tough to remember, but that is a good one. So my final nugget on putting together your mission is let your community assemble the mission and the pieces of the sentence and keep it simple. So pretty simple. Assemble your mission so that way the, the community can stand behind it. That's great. You know, and as you were saying that, I kind of cringed a little at proficiency right? Specifically being proficient because one of the concerns that I would have about this is that there's a possible trap in that because they don't know what they don't know, that they could get so super focused on geeking out on templates, tools, and process Uh and forget the actual mission of why they're there, which is to help the organization deliver on their strategy with the highest possible return on investment as quickly Uh as possible, right? Like that's what the business leaders want. So there might be an opportunity for the PMO leader or the influencer in the organization that is supporting the development of this community practice to maybe expose them before you create a mission expose them a little bit to things that really help kind of maybe change the way some of them think about their role, right? Yes. 
So that's been a big part of this because you run the risk as I'm listening to you and thinking about these missions. And that's why I love everything you need to know, you know, like totally Mm -hmm. just like all the things. So some of these are really cool, but I would want to make sure that those that were as a part of this community of practice really understood that this isn't about perfecting outputs as much as it is driving higher impact outcomes for the organization. And I'm wondering if one way to do that would be to not really create guardrails, but what if you could, as maybe kind of the ambassador or the facilitator, have one of your business leaders come in and kick off the first meeting with a welcome, we appreciate you, this is what we value, this is why you're really here from a business perspective, right? And maybe just set the stage a little so that they kind of, my fear is always, they're going to get into this kind of perpetual focusing on perfecting outputs and templates, tools, and process and geeking out on all that, which is fun to do, by the way, I totally get it. My husband and I can geek out on a good spreadsheet any day. (laughs) And I say that because he and I both work in businesses, multiple businesses together. And it's like, Uh okay, we got to get out of the spreadsheets and the process and all that and figure out why are we doing this, right? So We get it and I get it. And it's really important that the group as a whole grows from this, right? And evolves. And not goes in in the wrong way. Yeah. And evolves and develops and betters themselves and what they're capable of doing. So there might be some ways like bringing in one of your C-suite executives or kind of a boss that's in the food chain of all of these folks or something to kind of set the stage. And then of course, as the facilitator, you would, you know, all of you impact drivers listening, they're thinking, great, I'd like to do this. You would prepare that person on what to say, right? Like you'd help them, right? Like every good executive loves to be told what to do, right? They're like, tell me what to do. (laughs) Tell me what you need me to say. Tell me how to help you help these people. Right. And so you could do something like say, Hey, okay. So I know what you want is for us to accomplish this, right? Help you get the strategy delivered. Make sure that these projects aren't just on time on budget, but they were worth doing in the first place, ROI, and they achieve the intended business outcomes that, you know, that you're trying to drive toward, right? So here are some talking points that may be useful in having a conversation as we're continuing to evolve our community of practice of these project practitioners in the organization so that all of them are continuing to elevate, right? So, and then with that framing, right? That's enough. Like, that's it. Then you just keep reminding them of that, yeah. but not like mandating, right? Yeah. They don't and forget that's why your why ambassador is important, that you've got yeah. a trusted ambassador to where, like you said, if they continually want to pick, you know, very, very tactical items that you just try to influence that backlog some to where you're guiding them back toward some of the things to make, maybe a goal is to get them more strategic and less tactical. So that's why you've got to trust that you have a strong ambassador mm-hmm. of it. But yeah, I really like your suggestion of making sure that you're set up really well there from the beginning. So we don't, cause yeah, we can geek out really quickly, right? <laughs> right, right. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so it's just making sure that you have that right framing and that right mindset, right? We call them the impact driver mindsets and helping everyone understand the mindsets of why you're there and the things you need to be thinking about of your purpose, which is not just to check boxes and deliverables. And it's not even just to be on time on scope on budget, because if nobody ever uses the thing you've created, then it was a complete waste of time. So it's got to achieve the outcomes as well. So that mindset and framing might help people kind of with 
maybe guardrails a little bit just of kind of like, why are we here? And then that could feed the mission. And then once it's in the mission, then you're good to go. Cause then the ambassador just kind of continues to remind them of the mission, right. And their purpose and how important everything they're doing is to the organization achieving its goals. And that could just develop so beautifully over time with that framing. And then you've just up-leveled every single person that's in these conversations, right? Beautiful. I agree with everything you just said. Let's do it. Let's start another <laughs> community of practice, me and you. <laughs> Let's do it, baby. Well, I, I think know, we right? already are, right? Like, that's right, kind of... right. <laughs> so anyway, so I just think, because as I'm thinking through this, I'm like, well, how do you prevent it from creating more of the sameness and the challenges that many people and organizations face? And the reason that many project managers or people perceive project managers to be box checkers. I'm not saying they are, but that's this, this misperception. It can actually come from us if we're not careful, right. In how we show our value, measure our value, talk about our value and talk about the things we're doing to really help the organization make that big impact. So cool. So that's great. All right. So we've talked about mission and now you specifically have, I'd like to get some to brass tacks, right? And that's why I love having you on Jenny and why this is your third time coming on because you have actual practical experience, boots on the ground, doing this work, building PMOs, enterprise PMOs, strategy realization offices, which by the way, I want to sneak in a, just a little plug for your summit session that's happening in September before we wrap up. But can you talk about having created these communities of practice? Can you talk, give some examples on what topics you guys have talked about in the sessions and kind of give people listening some ideas on like, okay, can you give me at least the first few months of things we could do? And then it can kind of, just to kind of get it going, get it in motion. And then from there, the people, you know, for the people, by the people, they would develop kind of the topics and the way it ran after that. Right. Sure. And I'll keep this real brief because we've talked a little bit about some of the topics and trying to make sure that we're keeping it on goal and on track. The key is, is we want them to pick from their backlog. But if you, if you start your community practice and they're like, oh, I don't know, can, can you just pick a couple of topics for us? I encourage you to find a person that has a high level of knowledge, whatever topic, because as the ambassador, I don't want to be the one that's always speaking because that could become, it could start turning into a center of excellence. So I try to be careful not to do that. I want the sessions to be interactive. I don't want it to be where someone's just standing up there and the numbers in March are higher than the numbers in April kind of thing for 45 minutes. So not much lecture style. So you're remote, do some breakout rooms, let them talk to each other, maybe have some general information that's shared with everyone in a group for 10 minutes. But it might be around some tactical things. It might be around scope management or change management. And how is your group handling that? That might be a good one because if you've got different departments doing scoping different ways, maybe that's a good tactical topic. Another tactical topic could be maybe your team is using a project and portfolio management tool, but another team is not. And you would Mm. really love it if they would, so you wouldn't have to chase them around for Excel spreadsheets. So maybe you could just demo your tool and how you're using your PPM tool and how you would like for other project managers to use it. And maybe they could have some aha moments. And the same could be true for templates and things of that nature. How you guys are managing risk. How do you manage risk management? What does risk mean to your organization? So those are some tactical things, maybe some more strategic things is that agile mindset and agile practices. And you think, well, my shop's not agile, we're waterfall. You can still talk about agile practices and agile mindset 
even if you are waterfall, you can pull some of those practices and thoughts. And another big one, this is probably the most important one, is emotional intelligence, right? How are you influencing your team? How are you driving impact within the teams? And what does that look like? How are you doing that from a self-awareness standpoint, from a social awareness standpoint? You probably could do a couple of sessions on that one. Those are some examples. Giving back, you know, that's one of the ways, some of the things that we've covered this year. We have some other things outside of those meetings in our collaboration area that we've talked about that we contribute as well. But yeah, so those are some examples of some things that you guys could potentially cover. Excellent. Excellent. And also, I think that's great. These are some really good ideas and ways to kind of just develop and grow everyone. And you can also get everyone together and you can send people this podcast and say, Hey, here's what a community of practice is all about. What do you think about starting one here? I'd love to get together and talk about what we took away from the podcast and get your thoughts on what we could do to continue to grow and develop the organization, right? So you could refer them to the podcast. You could just talk generally about, Hey, what do you think about this? Would you like to be a part of this? And let's get together and talk about what we want it to be. Right. And all Mm -hmm. you have to do is come with a definition of what a community practice is, and that's enough to start the conversation. And so there's a lot of really easy ways. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to have six months of ideas or, you know, doesn't have to be fancy. It's just, Hey, I think we could work together to get better. Let's talk about it. Right. I mean, that's it. Yep. So, okay. So one more thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is just briefly, like, how do you, how would you define and measure success and know that it's actually working? It's really simple. It's really, really simple. I, we use teams. Mm -hmm. I use a little plugin called Polly. And at the end of, and you don't have to use this, you could do it numerous amounts of ways, but I ask at the end of each session, each monthly session, for them to rate the session, it's anonymous on a scale of one to four, four mm. being the highest, because I want to know if they're finding value in the topics. Sometimes the score will be so high and that some of the feedback that I will get is we want a part two of this topic. We want more. And then sometimes, you know, if someone's like, hey, this, maybe this topic was a two and a half or a three. Okay. So let's, let's figure out, well, well, why, why is that? Is it that you already knew the topic? So I do invite people because I don't know what scores people give. If you give below a three, please message me directly and let me know what do you think we could do to improve? I'm proud to tell you, I actually checked the scores. Our our average rating score right now is about a three, six, seven at a scale of one to four. And we've been doing this for not quite 18 months yet. So I do think that there's value. And that is information that I can take back to the executives and say, we do self-evaluate anonymously every session that we have. And here's our average scores because that resonates with an executive to say, okay, well, they feel like they're getting something out of this, right? So it's a little subjective, but that's the way we measure ours. Because at the end of the day, I want those project managers to feel like they are, are being valued and that they, their their development is being cared for, whether they work in my department or not, right? Because right. I feel like that we owe that to the craft. And so that's what I do. I, I do it just pretty simple. I just ask them, hey, what do you think? And then we'll ask, you know, hey, is there things we can do better and that kind of thing? We always ask that, but we actually do a scoring system one to four. Pretty simple. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, you know what? A lot of decisions are made from business leaders on net promoter score, which is one single question yep. from you ask your customers, would they refer you? And you know, mm-hmm. like that's, I mean, so it doesn't have to be complicated. Simple mm-hmm. is easy. And that's something that you can measure over time and get feedback from people. And you'll start to see the benefits if you're paying attention, right? You'll start yeah. to see the benefits of how everybody's growing and having greater successes on their projects and yeah. all the things the PMO can do to measure impact 
captain success in the organization. Yeah. And awesome. you'll also see, you'll notice after you've started it for a while, if your attendance starts dropping and dropping and dropping, then you'll know. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. If your attendance stays steady or even increases or people are asking to join, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, I know I'm not technically 50%, but I heard about the community of practice and I want to join, then you're doing something right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. That's what we tell a lot of our clients when we're teaching them project management for everyone, right? Project management for people that are not like full-time project managers. They all were like, listen, you're all project managers anyway, whether you realize it or not, because yeah. you all are managing projects one right. way, shape or form mm -hmm. and are going to benefit from all of this. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize I was a project manager, but it just can help create such a strong foundation of project management capability across the whole organization, which means everything gets done better. So I'm a huge fan of this concept. This is great. Okay. So I have one last question for you, Jenny, okay. and that is, would you tell us and our impact drivers listening a little bit about your session that will be featured at the PMO Impact Summit in September? Absolutely. So it is the differences between running a strategy realization office versus a project management office. And the gist of it comes from 2017. Mm -hmm. I was at a Gartner conference and Gartner had said that by 2020, most of the project management craft, if you will, will be non-existent. And it, it literally mm -hmm. about knocked me out of my chair. So yeah. then I went on a quest to come back to my little town here in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and try to figure out how can I help my community? I took this message even back to our local PMI chapter and some other chapters here in South Carolina, and especially back in my own company, because at that point it was an enterprise PMO. And I share my story of what I did to try to make sure that our project management craft remained relevant and that it was more strategic and less tactical. And I really dove into why would Gartner make such a claim, which I think they are and were accurate yeah. um, in the way that we were looking at project management. And I got a ton of executive buy-in from the company that I was in. Mm -hmm. And we formulated our project management office to be a strategy realization office. And then two years later, Gartner asked me to come back and be a guest speaker at their national PPM conference to share with other PPM leaders on how did we do that? So that's a sneak peek into the, the conversation that I'm going to have with you guys, as Laura mentioned, so why that's important. Am I recommending that all of you become a strategy realization office? Not necessarily. That's not what I'm recommending, but I am recommending that you take heed, regardless of where you are, where you sit, that you continue to make yourself relevant. And as Laura likes to say, how are you driving the most impact? So that's what you'll get. Sneak peek. Oh, so exciting. Yay. I can't wait. I can't wait for everyone to see it. And they can come and ask you questions at our live stream Q&A that will be happening on day two of the PMO Impact Summit. So for those that have not registered yet, definitely go register now for free. It's PMOImpactSummit.com. And it is free thanks to our partner, UMT360, working with me to help bring all of this wonderful content to the community at no cost for you. Because our goal is to help make sure that every PMO leader has all the resources and support they need to make a huge impact in their organizations. So Jenny, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you joining us for this episode, having you back for a third time. And congratulations again on becoming, as of the time of this episode, a semifinalist for the Americas for PMO Leader of the Year. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Don't forget, this episode is sponsored by the PMO Impact Summit. 
the world's largest and longest running virtual PMO conference that takes place for free right at PMOImpactSummit.com. If you're looking to elevate your role in your organization, make a bigger impact with your PMO, and discover ways that you can help your organization deliver on strategy with the highest possible return on investment as quickly as possible, you must be at the PMO Impact Summit this year. Just go to PMOImpactSummit.com to register for free, and the sooner you register, the better, because I've got goodies and surprises for all of my impact drivers. Can't wait to see you there. All right, Impact Driver, if you love what you heard today, make sure that you hit subscribe and download these episodes so they go with you wherever you go on this high impact journey. All right, that's it for today. Bye-bye for now.